0: I thought that if I changed anything that people would call me a liar, they'd call me a hypocrite, you know, because I'd stand up in front of folks and say, the Vision Mission Guys brand, this is what we're going to be. It's never changed. And so the long and the short of it is what this compass has become for us is much more heartfelt document. It talks about making space for the heart.
1: business owners metalworking experts and guys who get dirty on the factory floor jim carr and jason Zanger. now
2: let's make some chips Hello Metalworking Nation, Jim here from Making Chips. Gosh, I'm so excited to get to this episode today. We're on location in Burr Ridge, Illinois. It's a southwestern suburban Chicago suburb. I'm sitting in a conference room across the table from my good friend and co-host of this awesome podcast, Jason JZ Zanger. Hey, hey bud. How you doing? I'm doing great. How
1: are you? Good. I'm I'm excited today. I, I'm excited. I mean, yeah. just, this place is beautiful. We're on a lake.
2: We are. Um, Did you bring your boat? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. I don't have a boat. You don't have... A, not even one of those little blow-up ones you can... Oh, I do have you that. Can, You're right. Because there is a pier out there. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. let's go you get could, our boats. Could, yeah. There might be a Walmart around somewhere we could go. It's a little cold today, Let's though. do it, Jim. I'm yeah. game.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's go get a boat and go out on the lake and do some fishing. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> do you have any
2: manufacturing news? As a matter of fact, I do. Great. So you you know how I've, I've already shared with the Metalworking Nation how Jim Carr gets his manufacturing news, right? How do I get my manufacturing news? Reiterate <laughs> your, that. Your, your phone goes off in the middle of the night at 2 in the
1: morning, and you grab your phone really suddenly because you're always sleeping with it, and then you, you Google manufacturing news,
2: right? Well, I, I basically do sleep with my phone. But I know you that's do. That's beside the point. But no, I don't... Which I'm trying to get you to stop. I don't have an alert that goes off for manufacturing news. But what I do do is I have manufacturing news as part of my Google news. News app, and every day I go through and I scroll through the headlines for manufacturing news, and one of the most exciting things for me to see is when I scroll through is headlines like this, U.S. manufacturing still expanding, ISM index at 57.2. It goes on to say, manufacturing still is expanding in the United States, showing that the strong dollar isn't slowing everything down just yet. The Institute for Supply Management's Manufacturing and is still expansionary at 57.2 for March. True, it's a slight down from the previous month, but it's still up. You know, this always gets me excited. It gets me pumped up. It's great to see that manufacturing is back. Absolutely. And I would I mean, definitely I would definitely say it's back. It's it's going to be strong for the next year. My understanding is that, in general, I think I
1: believe this comes from the National Association of um, Manufacturers that ninety like three percent of manufacturing leaders are optimistic about the future. That I was, mean, that's huge. That's yes. huge. I mean, I, I believe that our friend um, Patricia Miller may have brought that to us. She just had a meeting at the White House on behalf of manufacturers, and we're going to have her on a, um, an episode very soon to, to discuss that.
2: Well, she's popular now. She's, a, yeah. she's She sat right next to the president. Right next to the president yeah. last Friday. And yeah. She's
1: Friend. I texted her right afterwards, I know. and we are kind of joking star. around. Yeah, she is. Rockstar yeah. manufacturer. I know. But yes, the, the National... I might replace so- you with her. Is well, that
2: okay? Go right ahead. She's definitely better <laughs> yes. looking than kidding. I am. I'm just kidding. And Jim. she's younger, You're too, irreplaceable. So. Yeah, so... No. so um, You're irreplaceable to me, at least. Thank you. Thank you, as well. But it was. She was at the White House, guests of the President of the United States. I, I guess there was a select few people from the National Association of Manufacturers, or NAM, that were invited to the White House to share... With the president and with the whole country, that 93% of manufacturers that were polled said that they have never been as optimistic as they are right now about uh, manufacturing growth in the United States. So, wow. So, stay tuned for Patricia's feedback on her experience.
1: We'll get her her on. So... We are here. I'll just I'll let everybody know where we are. We are here in Burridge, Illinois at the headquarters of Tuthill. And we are here with Tom Carmazzi, the CEO of Tuthill Pump. So Tom has his MBA from the University of Chicago. And Tuthill Pump is a manufacturer of pumps, blowers, vacuum systems, meters, and plastics that help fuel some of the world's most impactful industries.
0: Welcome to Baking Ships, Tom. Well, gosh, thank you very much. A real uh, treat to be here with you all this uh, this afternoon. i got to admit, this is the first podcast that I've ever done, so I'm a little bit nervous about it. Uh, Don't be nervous. guys, it's quite evident. You all have done this before. uh, We don't But I'm looking looking forward to uh, spending the afternoon with you.
1: You're going to be great. I mean, we're we're not worried about it. So um, Tuthill is a manufacturer of pumps, blowers, vacuum systems, meters, and plastics that help fuel some of the world's most impactful industry. Tuthill has 700 team members and locations in Burr Ridge, Illinois, Elsip, Illinois, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Springfield, Missouri, and Clearwater, Florida. Internationally, they have locations in China, the United Kingdom, and two locations in Mexico. That's a lot to manage, Tom.
0: Well, yeah, there's a lot uh, going on. So one of our beliefs is that we want to manufacture close to our customers, close to our true market. So even the plant that we have over in China, it's not to make product there and ship it back to the U.S. or, or to the U.K. We just believe that we can best service our customers by being close to them. So we, we believe that there's markets there, and so that's why we've chosen to place our plants where we have. Great. That's Tom, great. Tom, could you, could you start, because many people that are tuning into this
2: episode for the first time, they know nothing about Tuthill. Sure. Can you give us a little bit of history about
0: uh, how it's all come about over the last 125 years? Yeah. So, gosh, the thing of that, 125 years, fourth generation, which, is as you all know, is extremely, extremely rare. And Jay Tuthill owns 100% of the business uh, and is the chairman. Fifth generation is working at our plant down in Springfield. And so here you've got this long family uh, history. From a product point of view, they actually started out making bricks versus pumps. And so, as you might imagine, bricks need a quarry. And, And so as those quarries got deeper and deeper and deeper and the raw clay was pulled out with horses, that as those quarries got deeper, it was more and more stress on the horses. And actually the horses started dying. And so Mr. Tuttle at that time bought a pump to fuel a steam engine, and to replace the horses and save their hearts. And we and we think about the heart as the original pump. And so that's how we got from horses to pumps, and we've been in that business ever since. I love that story. That's
2: awesome. That is Thanks. a great story. And, and, you know, that's how things happen in life, you know? Yeah. The horses were dying. He knew he had to resolve a problem. You know, typically when you have a problem, you have a resolution, and through that Pain point, the resolution comes to fruition, and then boom, it yeah. starts a company. So that was back how many? That was back a hundred plus years ago, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, so let's fast forward through the decades, if you can do that. So, or <laughs> maybe you can, maybe you can kind of segment them into a 20 year cycle if 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 you can rattle that off quickly because th- i think there's rich history here that our listeners would love to hear mm-hmm. and then we can go ahead and just segue into all the great things that the company's doing nowadays especially i mean it's it's culture rich mm-hmm. and um that's that's how good progressive businesses run their companies nowadays
0: well so yeah so gosh you know from from making pumps and and we made pumps for decades and just pumps and, and And so as they started thinking about other ways to grow the business, that's when they really started thinking about acquisitions. And that was kind of like the 1960s, 1970s. And so 60s, 70s, 80s, a little bit into the 90s, we bought a lot of businesses, probably in the neighborhood of 12 12 to 15 businesses. And then in the tail end of the 1990s, the first part of the 2000s, we, we realized that, quite frankly, we had lost our focus. And, and our focus, when we were buying businesses, was all on growth. Just grow, 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 go out and buy a business, and that's how we'll grow. But we found out that, really, we weren't, in some cases, even buying a manufacturing business. It was more of a fabricating business. And so, so when we talk about losing our, our, our way, we, we were losing our manufacturing core. And so in 2008, 2009, 2010, we shrunk by 60% divesting those businesses, some of those businesses that we had bought previously, which quite, again, as I say, quite frankly, wasn't our core. And so now here we are kind of at the tail end of our shrink to grow strategy and now are focusing on that execution side. And now we're back starting really this year with a very strong balance sheet to think about how we can now go out and buy businesses which do relate to our core and it's not solely focused on growth, but focused on fit. That, that's great. I mean, it, what a um, a risky move to um,
1: to shed those other businesses. That's, that's not an easy decision to make. I'm, I might imagine, right? Well, it's funny.
0: I, you know, I I uh, so we so we hired a guy. This would be about oh three years ago. And I said, so so what's the what's the one question that that you really want to ask me? And he said. I have never heard of a CEO that intentionally shrunk his business by sixty percent. I mean, why would you ever do that? And I said, "Why, well, Frank? I, I didn't even think about it. It just made sense to you. I mean, it, it wasn't our core business, and and
2: we need to focus on what we do best. Exactly. As, right. As long as you're slowing down, right there in the conversation." You said 2008, 2009, 2010. The economy was not good at that time. Was part of that decision because the economy was bad and businesses were
0: were fading off? Was that a good time to get rid of it? Well, if you think about it, you know. Baggage? uh, Well, in one regard, you can say that could be a catalyst. But selling businesses then? I mean, you all know what that was like, right? People people love to buy businesses during a fire sale. So it was a case in which we had, we had talked about focus for, for several years. And, and, and so when 2008-2009 came along, there really was this, this, this thing about, hey, you know, these are getting to be tough years. We've been talking about this for several years now. Why don't we see if we can execute it and get value? So – and what we meant by that is we, we today have a business which we would have sold back then if we felt we could get the value for it. But since it wasn't a fire sale – it's like we're going to sell these businesses if we can get the value. If we cannot, we're going to hold them. And so we're we're, we're today still holding one of those businesses. Kind of like a stock. Well, yeah, and and it's actually our our plastics business. Mm-hmm. Because we've said, you know, we're basically chip cutters. And plastics is not chip cutting. I mean, I'm telling you, you guys something you already know. Mm-hmm. So, great people at our plastics business, but it's just not a fit. And I'm not talking out of school. They know that. As soon as we made that call, we told them what their long-term future was. That didn't mean that they couldn't live into our vision and mission, but that they weren't going to be part of the immediate family. They're going to be a little bit more distant family. So so yeah, there there, there was there was two two strong things there for us that were really pulling us to, to sell during that time, and yet it was not a fire, fire sale. So I wanna I want to get to the heart of what we want to talk about today. And
1: I think it's just there's something really beautiful about you guys started off as a brick company, stone, and you wanted to save these horses, their hearts, and then you got to making pumps, which is like a heart. Mm-hmm. And now your biggest concern as a company is the human heart. Right. And I, I just I find that so compelling and, and so beautiful. And I think as manufacturing leaders, there's something that we really can um, learn from what you and what, what Tuthill has done here. It's so culture-rich here. I mean, you, you walk in the door and there was, a, um, there was a point that came off of the building and that signified having that vision and having that direction that you know that you want to go into. I could just start in so many different places. But um, let's talk about the, um, the Tuthill Compass, because I think that that's probably the core of where you start as a company. Can you tell us about the Compass?
0: Yeah, so Jason, if I can, let me just give you a little bit of, of background as to how this all got started. And so we've been on this cultural journey for 10 years. And it got started really with, with Jay in that he, he, he asked for some feedback from the direct reports that he had at that time. And this feedback was such that someone recommended he get a coach to go over it with him. And through his courage to do that and the impact that it had on him, as I witnessed that, I realized that I was more of a manager than a leader. And so I wanted to get some coaching as well in my own leadership. And so as both of us were making our climb, our coach actually said, well, why don't you think about a conscious company and so, sure enough, that was the catalyst that away we went and 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 so before our 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 compass, we had this thing called the Vision Mission Values Brand statement, which ran for nine years. And I thought that thing is never changing. And, boy, by the way, if I ever left Tohill, I'm taking it with me. It's so cool and And the truth of the matter was it is it was very prescriptive. And so folks didn't engage with it because it was more of a what you need to do. Versus who you are going to be or who we want you to be. And so in in 2015, Jay and I decided, hey, look, you know, we're, we're going to figure out our purpose. And as part of that, you know, we really need to update this Vision, Mission, Values brand. The weirdest thing about that was, was who do you make up was the stick in the mud about changing the Vision, Mission, Values brand? Me. Exactly right. Yeah. And I, I mean... I thought that if I changed anything that people would call me a liar, they'd call me a hypocrite, you know, cuz I'd stand up in front of folks and say the vision mission values brand this is what we're going to be. It's never changing. Well, of course it changes. And so the long and the short of it is what this compass has become for us is much more heartfelt document. It talks about making space for the heart. You know, really living in, you know, to the original pump and this thing we call aliveness. And aliveness is not all about just happy gas. It's really we think about sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, tender, the full continuum of aliveness that we all have experienced. I know much of my life I try to block off the sad, angry, scared. But anyway, so so in a nutshell, what this compass does today talks about our purpose to wake the world. It talks about our vision, which is having an astounding impact through an ingenious company supporting flourishing families and spirited communities. Then our mission to make things that really make a difference, and then our way is curiosity, clarity, grit, grace, gratitude, and love, and then our brand, which is really talking about you know what we do, who we are, and what we say, and it starts with me here now. So that's the that's the summary. Probably a lot more background there, Jason, than what you wanted. No,
1: but. no, that's great, and and I know that um, for those listening, you did not read that off of a script i mean that is ingrained in you i mean and it's probably ingrained in um everybody here i mean Mm. You mm. just said it word for word. I was reading it as you were saying it, and you were not reading it. So that was, that was great. So you could really tell that it's ingrained in the culture here. Mm, um, thank you. So, so go, going back to, um, you mentioned that it started with being a conscious company. Wh- what exactly does that mean? And, and what, is, what does being a conscious company mean to Tuthill specifically? Because I've heard that term, conscious company, um, mentioned um, many, many times before. I think I first heard about it with um, Whole Foods,
0: mm, um, mm-hmm, if, I, mm-hmm. if
1: I recall. And, and that um, was the
0: book, Conscious, conscious Capitalism. Okay, yep, okay. Exactly right. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm.
1: What, what is a conscious company, and, and what does it mean to Tuthill?
0: So a, a, a conscious company is about being aware and awake, okay? So, so it's not consciousness in the medical term. It's really about are you aware and awake to your surroundings, to your dialogue with another, and to yourself, so we think about three levels of consciousness to yourself, what's going on in you, what's going on in the dialogue that, that the three of us are having, and then in the surroundings, which, which surroundings can be like the HVAC system making a lot of noise to you know your customers, the government, et cetera. So it really is it, it is this holistic aware and awake. And then it's like, okay, given that, what do you want to do? Because a lot of times... Folks can highlight what they don't want to do. So, for example, hey, you want to you, you want to go to uh, uh, Shoney's tonight for for dinner? No, mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, you want to go to Dickens? No. Mm-mm. Well, where do you want to go? I don't care. You know, right? Any you ever heard that before? Yes. Uh, I've, yes, I've 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 not heard. I've actually said it. So 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 it's like with the awareness, what do you really want? And so, what do you want first and foremost from your heart? And then, what are you going to take a hundred percent responsibility for? Versus, yeah, I want this, and Jason and Jim, you go make it happen. No, it's like, no, Tom, what are you going to take responsibility for? So this whole consciousness, wearing awake and then taking 100% responsibility.
2: This is fantastic stuff uh, that uh, you're sharing with us. You've made cognizant decisions to create this fabulous culture within Hill. How do you get all 700 employees on board, and how often do you – Uh, awaken your employees with it? How often do you communicate it? Is it something that happens every day? Is it something that happens once a week? Do you send them away on retreats? Because, you know, it, it really, there is a lot of beauty in this, and I get it, and progressive companies are doing this, and it's proven to be successful, but as a small manufacturing leader, I often struggle sometimes with how do you get all the employees on board and how is it communicated to them? And how do you get them to buy into it?
0: Mm. Well, wow, that's a really easy answer. Uh, there's a silver bullet. Um, no, there <laughs> is a silver yeah. bullet. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, it, can you it, pass it's, a couple yeah. of those over to me? It's just <laughs> absolutely magical. Uh, um, but, uh, gosh, you know, first off, I, I'm not here today as the expert, you know, as you might imagine. Uh, we've been on this journey for, for 10 years, and, and so how do you, how do, you do this? Um, I was talking to a group out in Salt Lake City, and, and, and uh, so the president of one of these businesses says, you know, Tom, I, I just don't get Why don't people want to change? And I said, you know, I can't speak for them. I can speak for me. And so here, you know, my, my background, finance, accounting, CPA, University of Chicago, all that stuff. So I was a quant jock. I got paid for it, promoted for it, incentivized for it. And so all of a sudden, you know, it's like I realized I got to leave numbers and use more of my heart. I don't want to do it. Why would I change something that I'm getting rewarded and incentivized for? Why would I do that? And so I said, so, so for me, it's got to start with me. So I can't go out and say, now, Jim, I want you to change. While I'm still an ogre, that's not going to happen because you're looking at me. And so it first and foremost, here, it, it had to start with me. And so how was I going to change? How was I going to model it? And I wish I could say, and you know what? It happened overnight, and by golly, I'm just perfect. Uh, no way in heck, man. I mean, every single day, I have a do-over. You know, it's like, oop. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was in a meeting in which I got— wrapped around the axle. And the next day, I called everyone back in, in that meeting. I said, do not emulate this behavior because it does not support the compass. It did not support the compass. And it was because I was watching a clock. And I'm a very time-based guy. And if I say a meeting is going to last for a certain length of time, it lasts a certain length of time, period. Well, I'd gone past the time. So all of a sudden, now I'm, I'm really getting frustrated and upset. And it wasn't about them at all. It was all about me. And so I take it out on them. That's not right. And so, so really, this journey had to start with me. So after that, we have various training uh, structures that we use from three by five cards—a simple little three by five card. We ask an open-ended question. And we ask you to fill it out. The reason that we do that is because through those, three, through those cards, you're taking your own stand. A lot of times, you'll ask people a question. They'll say, "Yeah, I, I feel the same way that Jim Jim does. I feel the same way that Jason does." Well, quite frankly, when you're doing that, you're not taking your own stand. I'm basically holding myself small. So the three by five cards—they're allowed- passive yeah you're passive so right. three by five cards you can take your own stand, oh by the way, now it 's on the wall and it's there it's yours, so you feel like you're being heard and oh by the way, then we can continue to play with them throughout the day so so just little similar simple structures also in each of our job descriptions that that compass is referenced in each of our employee evals, the compass is referenced, and so it 's not only in our various structures it's in the dialogue, so we were looking at a at a acquisition. Uh, about three weeks ago, and, and, the, and, the, and the dialogue was around, does this business really make real things that really make a difference? And the question really was mostly around make, because they were 80% purchased component of cost of goods sold. So for us, you're not really making, you're more of a fabricator. And then their margins were eroding, which we were making up was because of price pressure. And so if you're having price pressure, are you making things that really make a difference? Because if you are, I, I make up. You don't have to mess them with price, because your customers see the value. So, so these are ways that that we bring this. I to, struggle to, with to, that to all the time.
2: That resonates with me so deeply because I do struggle with that. You know, I I do all the quoting for my business, and when when so, I, you know I could spend. 2 hours on a proposal and I'm working really hard and I'm hitting the numbers and I'm and then, you know, the, the the buyer or the purchasing agent comes back and says, "Oh my god, you're so high." And I'm like, "Yeah, but you don't get it. They don't get the value of doing business with me, and it's so hard to sell, um especially when when you engage with a new customer for the first time. But um well, I w- I would say that they do
1: value you because the customers, the right customers that you have right now are still buying from you. You know? Yes. And, and those ones that, that, that went away, they probably weren't the right fit. So the ones that buy from you, they do value what you do and they, they're in tune with if it's paying extra money, paying extra money to yeah. realize that value. Right. Tune in next week on making chips for the conclusion of this interview. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry.